If you like what you hear, come and visit me at youtube.com slash tiptoe the tank and see this content in all its glory. Yuhorn Caldwin, the once emperor and father of Jessamine Caldwin, had not one daughter, but two. Before the birth of Jessamine, Yuhorn Caldwin impregnated a kitchen maid who gave birth to Delilah, born in shame. And just a year later, Jessamine was born, his legitimate daughter though the two girls played together often in Dunwall Tower when they were young. And at night, Jessamine would return to her soft ivory tower of wealth and comfort, while Delilah returned to the runny soups and hard life of the servants' quarters. Yuhorn acknowledged that Delilah was his, at least he did so to Delilah. It would seem that not even Jessamine was really aware that Delilah was her half-sister. Delilah would ask her father when it would be her time to go to court, like Jessamine did, Delilah was a year older, why was Jessamine in court every day, but Delilah was denied her station as a princess. It it really wasn't fair. Emperor Yuhorn told Delilah visit after visit that soon she could go to court next year. Next year, she could go to court if she was good. Next year, she could be a princess. She would be old enough then. But one fateful day, the bond of friendship between Delilah and Jessamine was tested. Jessamine broke something quite valuable, worth a fortune in fact. It wasn't on purpose, but her carelessness was the cause. When the Emperor's spymaster discovered the girls and the broken object, Jessamine panicked and blamed it on Delilah. From Jessamine's perspective, her friend was taken away by the spymaster and just never came back, but the blame placed upon Delilah changed her life in the most horrid of ways. She was beaten by the spymaster in the garden house until she bled. She tried to tell him that it wasn't her, she didn't do it, but it was the word of an apparent servant girl against that of Princess Jessamine Caldwin. Of course, Delilah was deemed the liar. That very night, Delilah and her mother were expelled from Dunwall Tower, out into the streets. But do not forget, Emperor Caldwin kept tabs on Delilah. He would have known that this had happened, and he did nothing. A potential burden, a potential scandal, gone out of sight, out of mind. She was twofold betrayed by the Caldwin family, the betrayal of a friend, who Delilah knew really to be her sister, and then her own father. Delilah and her mother were forced out into the slums of Dunwall and went into debt, eventually landing in debtor's prison. Her mother was assaulted by a guard who broke the poor woman's jaw. Untreated in the prison, she wasted away as Delilah could do not but watch her mother slowly, so slowly wither away. And eventually her mother did die, and it was not pretty. Delilah was kicked out of the prison after this, forced to find her own way in the world. Even after Yuhorn's wife Beatrix Caldwin died, no one searched for Delilah to return her to her home at Dunwall Tower. She took what work she could get just to survive, but the young woman had a talent for painting. In her free time, she pursued it. Looking up to Dunwall Tower during moments of reflection, she remembered her time there and vowed revenge upon those who cast her out. Eventually, her skill as a painter caught the eye of Anton Sokolov. This was before the Rat Plague, before Sokolov's time at the Hound Pit Pub, back when Sokolov was womanizing, drunkard, greedy bastard of an asshole with little regard for life, let alone emotion, and an ego bigger than the Isle of Morley. Delilah's time under his tutelage would have been brutal, but she survived the worst that Dunwall had to offer. She even valued Sokolov for what he was, admired his freedom and irreverence. In her mind, she dreamed of painting 
the world as it should be within this dream of hers she would be loved admired adored by all she would be a queen an empress her people would breathe her name they would love her the world would take a form of her own vision in her dreams in her dreams but delilah did not nurture this wish with fertile soil the rage and indignation of her life festered and corrupted her then when you horn died jessamine took her place as empress but we're now what four and a half minutes into the telling of this tale but let me tell and ask the origins of delilah come from delilah herself but were they actually true her father said she would be a queen one day a message told to us by the heart not delilah was it you horn that said that was it her imagination can you trust delilah copperspoon have i perhaps deceived you or misled you well i'm just the messenger was it delilah who has been deceiving herself and us well at least in her mind delilah copperspoon was rightfully delilah caldwin eldest daughter of Uhorn caldwin she was the rightful heir to the throne of the empire in her maddened obsession delilah began to search beyond what anton sokolov could offer her in future prospects she began delving into dark magics and occult rituals. She abandoned all peace and any hope for normalcy. The now woman was quite talented in the dark arts. She was a natural witch. It was only a few years after her dark endeavors began that she was visited by the outsider and oh what I wouldn't give to be a fly on the wall during that conversation. Delilah came away from the encounter bearing the mark of the outsider and the powers of the void like Granny Rags. She had the good sense to keep it off her hands as well. Fast forward just a few more years and Delilah falls back onto the radar of society, high society in fact. Her art and her beauty garnered her the affections of a wealthy barrister named Arnold Timish. Timish lavished Delilah with wealth and attention. He refused treatments for his ailing mother in order to keep her sedated and the finances of the family easy to control. Delilah had Arnold Timish so wrapped around her little finger that she even got him to put her as the beneficiary to his mother's will. At this point, however, Delilah is already remarkably powerful and experimenting with portrait painting in conjunction with black magics. She could have had Arnold Timish under her spell, so to speak. But don't feel too bad for old Arnold. In the very near future, during the Rat Plague, he will go on to steal property and assets from people in Dunwall who are suffering during the plague but are not victims of the plague. That's the sort of character he is, an absolute scumbag who has no qualms capitalizing on the suffering of others. Delilah vanished pretty quick after this little sign-over, and interestingly, even after she disappeared, Timish didn't remove her as the benefactor of the estate, he was quite haunted by her. But Delilah took a healthy payout with her and moved on to bigger and better things. Namely, she established a witch's coven. You see, Delilah had quite an interesting ability. She could draw certain women to her. Women who longed for freedom, for power. Women who would be good candidates for her coven if only they had the power to be a witch. The first woman to find Delilah was a woman named Brianna Ashworth. Like many females born into high society, at least within Dunwall, Brianna was treated as a ticket to buy the family more power through an arranged marriage. 
she was to be forced into a marriage with a pig of a man three times her age who only spoke to her as though she were a sexual object. Brianna likely would have ended up murdered by her husband eventually, or dead at her own hand to escape her gilded cage. But when she left her home, stepped out into the night alone, she found Delilah, and she never went back. And this was a story shared by many more women that flocked to Delilah. Like Dowd and his assassins, Delilah gifted some measure of power to the witches of the fledgling coven through her own mark. And in this coven, Delilah was loved and admired. Just as she'd always wanted to be, she was surrounded by women who craved her attention and were grateful for their new lives. The coven left Dunwall as the rat plague began, settling into the abandoned Brigmore Manor well away from the capital city. But even with the Brigmore witches at her side, even in this manner that they could make their own, even with the power of the void at her call, it wasn't enough for Delilah. She refused to abandon her obsession with the Caldwins, her revenge. She was blind to what was right in front of her, which was her coven, a family. Within Brigmore Manor, the coven began to work on a plan to enact Delilah's dream of taking the throne. Something about Delilah, perhaps it was her sheer power, maybe her ambition, her coven, or maybe there was just fun times to be had, but something about Delilah really caught the attention of the outsider. Now, the outsider doesn't play favorites. He doesn't give someone power just because they deserve it. He's like neutral chaos. There's any number of reasons he could have chosen to do so, but the outsider decided to get in touch with his old friend, Dowd, specifically in regards to Delilah. At this point in time, Dowd has recently murdered a certain empress, Jessamine Caldwin, and he's rather racked with guilt over it. He knows that he's set into motion events that will come back to haunt him. This murder, this assassination was different from all the others that came before. After years apart, the outsider chooses this time to get back in touch with Dowd. He tells him that he is very correct about the assassination of the empress being different, that there will be consequences. But he leaves Dowd with a gift, a name, Delilah. It is six months later when that name reappears in Dowd's life. A whaling ship is in Dunwall, outside a slaughterhouse, a ship called the Delilah. Nothing is ever a coincidence in Dunwall. Dodd and his second-in-command, Billy Lurk, take off to investigate, eventually leading them back to a name, Arnold Timish, and his relationship with this mysterious Delilah. And it would seem that Arnold Timish's niece, Talia, is quite unhappy with her uncle over the whole will-inheritance-money thing, and she wants the will retrieved. Which is not a big deal for Dowd or Billy. I wouldn't even bring it up, except that while Dowd is sneaking around Arnold Timish's mansion, he finds a statue of Delilah. And it starts talking to him. She starts talking to him. The two know each other now, and she wants Dowd to stop. Arnold Timish's niece is able to direct him on towards Brigmore Manor. In efforts to stop Dowd, Delilah manages to persuade Billy Lurk to betray him, but it's not as cut and dry as that. Billy and Dowd have known each other for years. I mean, she was his second in command. When Billy was younger, she and her girlfriend, Deirdre, were set upon by two sons of Theodanus Abel, the Duke of the Isle of Serkanos. And these two young men, Radanus and Luca Abel, harassed them, and then Radanus struck Deirdre. 
he killed her, and Billy, absolutely enraged, broke off a piece of a coach and jammed it into the eye socket of Rodanus, killing him in turn. Billy went into hiding, eventually several months later finding Dowd and chasing after him after witnessing one of his amazingly fast assassinations. He gave the girl a chance. He had a feeling that she had some talent and he certainly was not wrong. So this betrayal, it was a big deal for Dowd. Billy told Delilah where to find Dowd within Dunwall and overseers were routed to their hideout, resulting in a large fight and the deaths of some of the assassins in the gang. But tempered by his sins, and in search for redemption for his murder of an empress and theft of a girl, Dowd doesn't kill Billy when she confesses to her deed. Billy did this because she believed Dowd was becoming weak in his older age, that he didn't have what was required to lead this group of assassins anymore, but she was wrong. Or she'd been manipulated by the powerful Delilah. Either way, Billy surrounds herself to Dowd's punishments, and he decides to free Billy from the weight of what she's done. She leaves the group, she leaves Dunwall, and moves on to another life with a new name. Dowd's search for Delilah is far, far from over, and now it's become deeply personal. He has to break into a prison, smuggle a woman out, convene with a dressmaker, take out a backstabbing gang member, take an old man off life support, find an engine coil for a boat, clear out some witches from a sewer, escape from a poisonous death chamber, then repair the boat with previously mentioned engine coil, all before actually getting to Brigmore. But he does indeed, he eventually gets there. Delilah is creating a painting of the young Emily Caldwin, using Emily's hair as a brush, fabric spun from the loom that makes her dresses, and colors created from the far corners of the aisles. Delilah intends to use the painting as a portal to possession. Delilah is so powerful, she's doing this from within the void itself. The outsider didn't bring her here, she came here herself. And remember, at this time, Emily's mother has been murdered, and she's been taken from Dunwall Tower as a captive. Her life is quite stirred up. The chaos of it all will serve Delilah well. She will overtake the girl, enter her body, and take over the life of Emily Caldwin. Now, there's a number of ways that this can play out, of course, this is just one way. But Dowd intervenes when Delilah is enthralled in her ritual, taking out the grand painting of Emily and replacing it with the Void. And this doesn't kill Delilah, it seals her away into the Void. Dowd returns to Dunwall to continue on his work to head his gang of mercenaries and assassins for a time. Corvo Atano has already broken out of prison and soon he will have Emily back if he doesn't already. And he stalks the streets of Dunwall carrying out targeted assassinations. Dowd knows that Corvo will eventually come for him too. Dowd sets up at the flooded district carrying on about his business as usual, but eventually Corvo does come for him. Dowd doesn't try to lie to Corvo as so many have before him. In a way, he gives Corvo closure in his confession. He even asks Corvo for mercy, but does not leverage his work to stop Delilah against Corvo. That remains a secret. That was atonement. That was not a bargaining chip. And here too, there's a few ways that this could play out. But at least for now, Corvo grants Dowd his mercy, and Dowd, like Billy Lurk before him, will leave Dunwall behind and search out new meaning away from the Isle of Gristol. And Delilah didn't just give up in the void. It may have been wiser of Dowd to have killed the woman rather than send her away because eventually Delilah found a place of power within the void. 
the sight of the outsider's transcendence from human to what he is now, the sight of his sacrifice 4,000 years ago, before he was a black-eyed and wickedly empowered being within the void. She takes power from this place for herself, and the already powerful witch becomes something yet greater, second now perhaps only to the outsider himself in attunement to the void. Delilah becomes a piece of the outsider, something that he does not like. With this power, Delilah is able to speak through the void to find her old coven cohort, Brianna Ashworth, to reach out to old powerful allies within the Isles and guide them on to a ritual. Partaking in this black magic is of course Brianna Ashworth, but also the now Duke of Circanos, Luca Abel who was involved in the murder of Billy Lurk's lover some years prior, whose brother died as a result of Billy's rage. Luca Abel is a tyrant upon his people, draining the coffers of them for his own indulgence. Located in the once grand city of Karnaca, the home city of Corvo Atano, Luca Abel has decimated the prosperity of the city and by extension the Isle of Circanos. The silver mines of the isle are run around the clock. The workers are treated as fodder, creating massive dust storms. Blood flies are infesting the city. Entire districts are blocked off to keep people in or out. The populace is starving and left without, as the elites who benefit from the brutality of Duke Luca Abel have grand parties, feasts, and orgies in their high rises above the masses. Also taking part in this ritual for Delilah is Grim Alex, also known as the Crown Killer, also sometimes known as Dr. Alexandria Hypatia. Dr. Hypatia was a woman of the people, offering appointments and treatments for free. She was very concerned for the well-being of the common man. In her effort to help the silver miners of Karnaka, whose lungs were degrading due to constant exposure to the dust kicked up in the mines, she developed a serum to repair the damage done to them. This serum, it worked, but it also turned her into a rabid, bloodthirsty monster called Grim Alex. Grim Alex retains memories as Dr. Hypatia, but Dr. Hypatia does not recall being Grim Alex. Duke Luca Abel learns of her discovery and the side effects of her serum and decides to use this to his advantage, dosing the woman. He uses Grim Alex for his own purposes, one of them being the ritual of Delilah. Kieran Jindosh also takes part. Jindosh is a master inventor, a former student of Anton Sokolov, a genius mind and a complete psychopath. He made it but two years in the Academy of Natural Philosophy before he was expelled, and that was a place where Anton Sokolov thrived. So what did Jindosh do that would garner expulsion? Well, it was never publicly released, sadly, we'll never know. Jindosh went on to serve Duke Luca Abel in Karnaka, and he was given an almost unlimited budget and zero oversight to create his machinations. And create he did. His involvement in the ritual seance was absolutely fascinating for him from a scientific perspective. And then finally, Aramis Stilton, who took up the final spot in the ritual. Though Aramis is different from the others, he doesn't have a mean streak in him. Aramis is an old friend of the former Duke, Theodonus Abel. Theodonus, he was a good man, a good leader, and he was well-liked. He was also the reason a young Corvo Atano is sent to Dunwall to serve the then-Emperor Euhorn Caldwin many years ago. And by extension, Theodonus is how Corvo met Jessamine. 
Theodonus's son, Luca Abel, is nothing like Theodonus, but Aramis cannot bring himself to turn his back on his old friend's son, so he agrees to let Luca Abel, Brianna Ashworth, Grim Alex, and Kieran Jindosh hold their seance at his estate. At the urging of Duke Luca Abel, Aramis even takes part in it. During the seance, Delilah is successfully returned to the world of the living, and Aramis Stilton is driven mad, peering into the void, the only casualty of the ritual. As he babbles on, Delilah places her own spirit into a statue, giving her physical body immortality. Duke Luca Abel is entrusted to hide the statue away, and scheming begins to overthrow the Empress Emily Caldwin. Now, let us return to Dunwall, to Corvo, to a now adult Empress Emily Caldwin. On this day that we are reunited with our old friends, they are observing a somber event. It has been 15 years since the death of Empress Jessamine Caldwin, and things are not going particularly well in Dunwall either. Due to overhunting, the whale population has been driven into the ground, making whale oil the lifeblood of the Isle's technology extremely expensive and stirring civil unrest. And a serial killer has been on the loose, dubbed the Crown Killer, who we know as Grim Alex or Dr. Alexandria Hypatia, murdering those who could be seen as opponents or enemies to the rule of Empress Emily Caldwin. The suspiciously convenient murders make it seem as though Emily herself is responsible or perhaps her father, Corvo Atano. This is, of course, intentional, a series of murders at the direction of Duke Luca Abel from faraway Sarkanos to destabilize Emily's good standing within Dunwall, to turn suspicion upon her and Corvo. Though Emily has done a great deal of good for the Isles in her time as Empress, a great number of wrongdoings have been overlooked as well. The suffering of the people of Sarkanos, for example. Luca Abel has been free to run as a tyrant over Corvo's own homeland. There are still gangs running around Dunwall, there's still poverty and suffering, technology and tools of war in development, piracy on the oceans, the suffering whale oil trade impacting the working class the most. So while Emily has done well as Empress, things are far from rosy or peachy keen. One could almost accuse Corvo and Emily both of becoming complacent in their lives within Dunwall Tower. But back to this particular day, 15 years since the death of Jessamine, during a ceremony to observe the event, the Duke of Sirkanos arrives, Luca Abel, accompanied by the mechanical soldiers of the mad inventor Kieran Jindosh, and traveling with him is a most special gift. Oh, what could it be? Well, none other than a woman, Delilah. She is introduced as the lost sister of Jessamine Caldwin, Delilah Caldwin, the rightful empress. Emily tries to be cordial and welcoming, telling Delilah that if she really is her mother's sister, she is most welcome to stay as long as she would like. But of course, Delilah will settle for no less than complete domination over the throne. All who are loyal to Emily Caldwin are to be cut down. The coup begins, and though Corvo takes up arms against the Duke and Delilah, not even a sword to the chest can stop the immortal witch. The coup is a complete success. She even rips the mark of the outsider right off of Corvo's hand. And dependent upon your choices, either Corvo or Emily is cast into stone. Canonically, it is Corvo who is cast, but well, you see, I got a, I got a soft spot for old gruff dad figures. So at least for this adventure, it is Corvo who once again rises to the challenge of saving the land, saving his daughter, 
this time from an all-powerful witch. A dying woman, a personal guard of Emily Caldwin, is able to guide the protagonist onto the docks of Dunwall, where Billy Lurk is waiting, though she now goes by the name Megan Foster, captain of a ship called the Dreadful Whale. After Dowd spared Billy Lurk, she sailed away to Sirkanos and took on the name Megan Foster. She met Anton Sokolov there in his retirement. The now-aged man was full of regret and grief for his past sins. He too had left Dunwall to leave his past behind. She also befriended Aramis Stilton, before he went mad, that is. When Aramis vanished from the public eye after his unfortunate encounter with Delilah, she'd gone to look for him at his home only to discover that the Grand Guard of the city was keeping Aramis hidden away. Billy fought the Grand Guard there, losing her arm and an eye in the process, not discovering what happened to her friend. When the Crown Killer began wreaking havoc over the Isles, Billy, now Megan Foster, and Anton Sokolov began investigating it together and tied it back to the scheming of Duke Luca Abel. Before they could blow the whistle on the Duke, the Crown Killer, also known as Grim Alex, abducted the aged Anton Sokolov and delivered him into imprisonment at the estate of the mad inventor Kieran Jindosh. Megan Foster fled to Dunwall to search out Corvo Atano, or Emily Caldwin, depending on who you play as, and to render assistance in bringing down the Duke of Sirkanos and his circle of evil associates. Corvo does not know the true name of Megan Foster, that she is Billy Lurk. He does not know of her involvement in the death of Jessamine Caldwin 15 years prior. She is simply Megan Foster, captain of the Dreadful Whale, friend to Anton Sokolov, and an ally against Delilah Caldwin. Megan Foster agrees to deliver the protagonist to the city of Kornaka at the Isle of Sirkanos. Anton Sokolov must be retrieved, delivered to safety on the ship the Dreadful Whale. The old man is very important to Megan Foster. She will not allow him to be abandoned to the mad inventor Kieran Jindosh. He must be rescued. While traveling to Sirkanos, Corvo is visited by an old friend. The Outsider, it's been several years since the two last spoke. The Outsider hasn't aged a day, it seems, hasn't changed at all, and oh boy does he have some things to say to Corvo about his complacency and ignorance as to Delilah's past. Dowd could have warned Corvo about her. There were warning signs all over Sirkanos in the last three years since her return to the living world that something was deeply wrong on the Isle, but apparently Corvo and Emily were just too busy to ask questions, too busy to watch the corners of the Empire, too busy to take notice of those under their charge. Thankfully, the Outsider is here once again to offer his mark, his assistance. His displeasure at Delilah's usurp of power at his old ritual site in the void spurs on this offer, lucky you. Accept or refuse, it's up to you, though on this particular adventure, Corvo Atano accepts. And with it, the heart containing the shadow of the spirit of his beloved Jessamine Caldwin. He hasn't heard her voice in so long. It's not entirely her anymore, but it's still something a comfort, a guide, and a truthful companion. The search for Anton Sokolov begins at the Adamire Institute, where he was last seen being dragged to by the Crown Killer. Dr. Alexandria Hypatia is a doctor here. Dr. Hypatia is the Crown Killer unbeknownst to her. She is still being drugged with that serum. She has massive gaps in her memory. She doesn't know what she's been up to as Grim Alex. 
and at the Ademeyer Institute, Corvo doesn't find Dr. Hypatia. He finds a lot of city guards patrolling the grounds, and then he finds Dr. Hypatia's assistant, Vasco, who has been mauled by the drugged version of Dr. Hypatia, Grim Alex, and he doesn't have long left. He tells Corvo of a cure, a way to free Dr. Hypatia from her alter ego. He tells Corvo just enough to get him along before Grim Alex herself shows up and tears Vasco to shreds. Crafting the cure, administering it, it's all simple enough. For Corvo, it's a simple A to V to C. The complexity of it will befall Hypatia herself. She doesn't remember being Grim Alex, but part of her knows that a dark shadow has been chasing her. Something horrible has happened, but what? If or when she recalls, will she be able to handle the truth? This woman has dedicated her professional life to healing and aiding. As Grim Alex, she was a true monster. For now, at least, she will aid Megan Foster and Corvo Atano aboard the dreadful whale, away from the control of the Duke, who has since returned to Sirkanos after aiding Delilah in taking the throne at Dunwall. But Anton Sokolov is not here at the Ademeyer Institute. The Duke ordered Grim Alex to deliver the old man to Kirin Jindosh's home. That will be Corvo's next stop. Within the expansive, horrifying mansion of Kirin Jindosh are ever-changing mazes of walls, floors, and decor. Jindosh quite likes to receive visitors and thieves. He runs them through his house as though they were rats, as experiments to be observed to see how far they can get to see how long they survive against his clockwork mechanical soldiers. Within the harrowing mansion, Corvo is able to find Sokolov, but the old man is badly beaten. In his age, he was already struggling to maintain his train of thought, to physically carry out his day. The crown killer was not gentle with the old man, and it very, very much shows. He has to be carried out of Jindosh's mansion. But Corvo cannot leave the mad inventor Kirin Jindosh to his own devices, even after getting Sokolov out. He is so, so dangerous, and he has almost unlimited resources, a small army of mechanical soldiers at his call, and the favor of Delilah. Rather than let Jindosh remain unchecked, Corvo goes back for him, and he must make a choice, eliminate Jindosh, or use his own technology against him. Jindosh was experimenting with electrocution, trying to remove the self and identity of a person and remove their intellect. In this particular adventure, Corvo decides to put Jindosh into his own electric chair and churn up the juice, reducing Jindosh to a blathering childish mind, possibly a fate worse than death for the man. He cannot recall his own genius, though it sits right at the cusp of his thoughts. He glimpses his own ingenuity, then it passes from his mind, replaced with thoughts of simple gratifying things. Someone will find him here eventually. Corvo leaves Kirin Jindosh alone, to blather on to no one about nothing. With Anton Sokolov joining their ranks, the next stop is at the Royal Conservatory, headed by one Brianna Ashworth, Delilah's old friend from her coven days. It would seem that the overseers are on edge over the conservatory, something about the oracular sisters issuing unusual proclamations to the overseers at the abbey. And the vice overseer himself is quite convinced that Brianna Ashworth has something to do with it. Somehow, she's trying to control and manipulate the abbey and the overseers through the oracular sisters. Well, he's not wrong, actually. The conservatory is occupied by witches of the coven. 
With the help of Kirin Jindosh, a machine called the Oraculum was built, infused with runic black magic and undeniable scientific ingenuity. The Oraculum allowed the coven to gain control over the Oracular Sisters. These women, these Oracular Sisters, are the guiding minds of the Abbey of the Everyman, therefore the guiding lights to the overseers. Think of them as extremely well-studied and analytical nuns. To gain control over the Oracular Sisters would be doom upon the Abbey, upon the Overseers. It would essentially give Delilah power over the Abbey, which stood in opposition to her usurp of power. Delilah's power comes from the Void. The Abbey and the Overseers stood in defiance of it. They hated the Void with a religious fervor. Delilah was a heretic. Imagine if she could get control over their prophecies and directions. It would be a tragedy. But this oraculum that Brianna Ashworth possessed was nearly complete. Trial runs of the device had been successful, so it must be destroyed. Old faulty lenses used during early development of the oraculum were not destroyed. These lenses were damaging to the user. It drained them of their power as a way to power the machine itself. Corvo has a choice. Sabotage the oraculum with the faulty lenses and drain Brianna Ashworth of her power and her link to Delilah, or just kill the woman outright. In this particular adventure, Brianna Ashworth is drained. All of the coven at Karnaka is completely drained of their powers because of the sabotaged machine. Delilah's link to her coven to her friend is severed. They are returned to their natural, powerless state, just normal women. Delilah comes to visit Corvo here through the eyes of a statue, and the two convene for a short time. Delilah is upset at the severance of her coven, certainly, though at this point, at her own level of power, it's really not of any consequence to Delilah, rather just an inconvenience. Her sorrow for Brianna and her coven doesn't really feel so genuine, just words to express displeasure and hatred for Corvo Atano. Nothing more. Corvo now knows the name Aramis Stilton, and he's got a lead in discovering the source of Delilah's immortality, that something happened at his home three years ago, a horror committed in Delilah's name. Neither Sokolov nor Megan Foster know explicitly what happened to Aramis, so it's time to investigate their old friend, find out where he's been, what he did, or who did what to him. The home of Aramis Stilton is in collapse. Corvo finds the man inside completely detached from reality, and remember, Aramis was not a fiend at heart. He was a casualty in the seance. He didn't really understand what he was getting into. He was trying to help the son of his once dear friend, Duke Theodonus. Aramis Stilton didn't come from money. His wealth came from the silver mines of Circanos. When he was in his right mind, he was an advocate for his workers. He enacted measures to keep them safe and to keep them healthy. He was well-liked, a popular boss. He didn't fit in with the elites of Serkanos, and he knew it, so he didn't even try. He was a different breed, a better one. Better than any of them could have ever dared to be. Though he's provided food and minimal security at the behest of Duke Luca Abel, he's mostly been abandoned to wander his own insanity within his wasting home. The outsider appears to Corva when he finds Aramis, to tell him in riddle speak of the void still leaking into this place because of Delilah. The things in this place are not as they should be. Echoes and memories of what took place here three years ago still linger as they should not do. It is a perversion of magics. 
The outsider gifts Corvo with a timepiece so that he might witness what happened here with his own eyes, so that he might interact with the events on some level, perhaps, so that he might even find a way to help poor Aramis Stilton, or find a way to put him out of his misery. Looking into the past, Corvo sees that night unfold as the seance is prepared before Delilah returns to the living world. It is possible, if so chosen, to save Aramis, removing him from the equation in a gentle way, prevent him from attending. It won't change the outcome of Delilah's ritual. She will still return, but in victory, Corvo finds that Aramis can be returned to his senses, his life and mind restored, an ally now to stand against Delilah. And in witnessing the ritual of the past, Corvo learns of Delilah's secret to immortality that her spirit is being safeguarded within a statue, in safekeeping in Duke Luca Abel's sprawling palace. Even the outsider deems this reveal to be worthy of his commentary, as though to really impress upon Corvo the importance of what he is doing. Remember, the outsider doesn't typically intervene or play favorites. This is quite a break from his typical style of watching from the shadows. Delilah has really, truly drawn the outsider's attention. Her powerful ascension at the ritual site of his transcendence is not favorable for or to him. He wants her dealt with, even if he won't outright say it. On this path, Delilah will eventually return to the void. She dreams not only of ruling the Isles, but all the stars in the sky. She will find her way to the Outsider. She is a threat to him directly. He can't see and know all for all of his great power. He knows Delilah for what she is, an encroaching threat. A now restored, Aramis Stilton stands aboard the dreadful whale. With this past tragedy averted, with Aramis having never gone to the seance to restore Delilah, that means that Megan Foster, the one-armed, one-eyed captain of the dreadful whale, never went to his estate to search for him. She never got into a fight with the city guard there. She never lost that arm or that eye. She, too, is restored. Aramis Stilton is able to give Corvo guidance into their new target the palace estate of Duke Luca Abel himself. Aramis knows where the Duke's vault is at and how to get into it. If ever there was something that needed to be securely held, such as a particular statue holding the very spirit of a very powerful witch named Delilah, it would be there. Not only that, but Luca Abel has a decoy, a body double who is the spitting image of the Duke. It's nigh impossible to tell them apart. Furthermore, this body double is a likable man. He's humble. He's posed as the Duke for years to confuse would-be assassins and to keep the Duke safe. How convenient. Maybe Corvo could bring peace and stability to Karnaka and the Isle of Circanos without publicly toppling the Duke. The face of the Duke need not change, just the man. The palace of the Duke is everything you'd expect it to be and everything that it should not be. It's over-the-top in its luxury, oversupplied in food and resources, so much that the bulk of it goes to waste while the common folk of Karnaka struggle and starve. The elites who walk the grounds of the palace openly benefit from the greed of the duke and the spoils of his spending. They quite celebrate this fact as well. And for years, this has been ignored by the throne of Dunwall. The suffering of the people of Karnaka has been ignored. The duke has been unchecked. Corvo acknowledges their oversight, their mistake, and the need for change. This cannot be allowed to continue. It cannot be allowed to ever happen again. The throne must be better than this. Within the palace, Corvo finds this body double, this second Luca Abel. 
and he is quite gentle, agreeable. He understands Corvo's intentions immediately and assists him with intel to bring down the insane Duke of Circanos. The body double sees the suffering that the Duke inflicts. He hates what it's done to Karnaka and knows that he could do better. So long as he works with the Empress and for the betterment of his people, this is a good solution for Corvo. The double instructs Corvo to disable the Duke and to bring him back to the devil. If Corvo can do that, then he will take care of the rest. And this strange man, this double of the Duke, he proves himself to be quite wily, quite intelligent in his plan. He takes a medallion from the Duke, something Luca Abel has on him at all times, and seamlessly falls into the role as the new Duke Luca Abel. He convinces the palace guard that the real Duke is actually the devil and has convinced himself that he's the real Duke. And since he now holds the Duke's medallion, the guards believe him. The insidious man, Luca Abel, is taken into custody and removed from power. The body double steps in as the new Duke of Circanos, a new ally to the Empress Emily Caldwin, who will guide the future of Circanos onto something brighter. Aramis Stilton will stand at this man's side as a counselor to help him in his new leadership role, a good ending all around. Within the vault of the Duke, deep in the palace, Corvo finally finds it. The statue that holds Delilah's spirit, the key to her immortality. But to capture her spirit, to return it to her body in Dunwall and restore her mortal life, well, a vessel is needed. And the only thing that can carry her is the heart, which now holds the lingering spirit of Jessamine Caldwin. It's finally time for Corvo to say goodbye to his lost love, to never hear her voice again, or to have the comfort of her presence, even if it's just a shimmer of her life. It's been 15 years, but the man is still struggling with losing her. And saying goodbye is bittersweet. Now, his daughter needs him. He needs to let Jessamine go, to go restore Emily and to end this madness, but that doesn't mean it won't hurt. Of course it will, and of course it should. Corvo bids Jessamine a final farewell and takes the spirit of Delilah into the heart. Now, it's time to return to the Dunwall Tower. Things are really not going well under the rule of Empress Delilah Caldwin. The Abbey is in open conflict with the Empress. Curses and magics wildly roam the city. The people are frightened, fleeing, or trapped and suffering. If this is Delilah's vision of how things should be, the woman has awful taste. Megan Foster finally comes clean with Corvo, telling her that her name is Billy Lurk and her affiliation with the assassin named Dowd. Her part in the job of murdering Jessamine Caldwin, and she doesn't try to make excuses for it, much like Dowd. She understands her role, her guilt, accepts the horrible things that she's done, just one in a pile of horrible choices. But it was an eye-opening tragedy that didn't need to happen. All she can ask for Corvo is understanding, though she'll never have a clean conscience. Corvo has lived enough life to know that time can change a person. And it's been a long time since Jessamine's death. He sees that Billy Lurk has changed. He can't forgive her, of course not. But he can take away her suffering under the secret that she's been carrying for 15 years. She's confessed her crime. There won't be any revenge or killing in return. Just carry the weight of the crime. And the rest is up to Billy herself. She doesn't accompany Corvo back to Dunwall. No, he goes alone. But Billy Lurk will depart this place and go on to seek out Dowd. 
The two haven't seen each other in many years. He's out there somewhere. Perhaps it's time to find the old man. But Corvo, alone, returns to Dunwall, treks through the breaking city back to his home at Dunwall Tower, where his daughter awaits his return cast in stone. The entirety of the city seems to be caught in gloom. Even within Dunwall Tower, the witches of Delilah that roam the grounds are in poor moods and unhappy. The place seethes with hostility and conniving. Delilah has been painting again, creating the world as it should be. A reality created by her own hand that she will bring into reality itself, to remake it as she sees fit where her wild dreams and demands for affection and worship will be made real. Reality reformed. Corvo arrives at the nigh completion of the painting. It sits in the throne room, empowered by a cruel throne of runes nearby. Now, there are many ways that this plays out, many variations depending on your choices, and this is just one of the routes that Corvo, or Emily, could take in the handling of Delilah Caldwin. On this particular adventure, Corvo restores Delilah's spirit. Delilah knows what's happened, and she knows who's near, and rather than engaging in a fight, she enters her painting, The World As It Should Be, her vision for the future of reality. Quickly, Corvo goes to the corrupted throne, lined with the many corrupted runes that will aid in the blending of Delilah's reality into the world, and he sabotages it with a corrupted rune of his own before following Delilah into her canvas. Delilah is no longer mortal, but she is extremely powerful, especially here in this void space. Engaging in combat with her may not be wise, so instead, Corvo sees to the many decoys of Delilah. He does not choose to fight or to kill, but instead finds Delilah within her painting. He incapacitates her and takes her out of the painting, back to the throne room, back to her ruined throne, now holding a sabotaged, corrupted rune. When Delilah awakes, she rushes to her painting to complete her ritual, to bring her reality into true being. In she goes, only to be sealed within. But Delilah does not know that she is being contained within the painting. The path behind her is sealed, locking her away from the real world, but to Delilah she can't tell the difference. This world as it should be is her dream. It's her prison, but this is not known to her. The sabotage of the throne kept her reality from bleeding out into the real world. She's finally gone. To rule as a beloved empress in her own world to adventure and intrigue across the aisles she'll wander onto Pandesia itself. Corvo can release his daughter from her stone prison, the healing of Dunwall can begin, and the empire of the Isles can rebuild, this time better. No blind eyes turned to the corners of the world. The new Duke of Circanos, the double of Luca Abel, will rule with empathy in partnership with the Empress. Emily Caldwin will rule for many decades with her father at her side. The empire will be mended. Anton Sokolov takes his final voyage away from Dunwall to the frigid north, his return to home, to live out his final days in peace. And Billy Lurk will search on for the closest thing she has left in this world to family, to seek out the man named Dowd. And together, the two will decide the fate of a god.